We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Hi, I'm Joe Connolly, business news reporter at WCBS News Radio in New York. Today you will meet Jason Pfeiffer, the editor-in-chief of Entrepreneur Magazine, who will tell us ways that some businesses that Entrepreneur has followed have pivoted and done well since the pandemic began. Producer Neelay Caruso will join me in this discussion as well. So Jason, what are some of the common themes in what businesses that have done well have done so better than others during this recent period? Yeah, well, thanks, Joe Neil, for having me. I appreciate it. So, look, there are two ways that I look at this. There is the practical pivots in the pandemic, which is to say, what do people need now? How can my business survive and thrive? Because maybe opportunities that I used to have, you know, became more limited. And then that's interesting, and we and I'll talk about that. Those are you know, those are obviously things like um, moving into digital, building digital based communities focusing more on on uh, things that people can do at home and then there is another kind of shift or another kind of launch because some businesses have launched during the pandemic that I found extremely interesting because those aren't just taking advantage of momentary needs right obviously for example, um, uh, you know, if you're a restaurant, beefing up your delivery and serving outside is great, but eventually you're going to want people back inside, right? This is a pivot for just that moment. But then there are companies that are taking advantage of identifying and taking advantages of what will be lasting shifts in consumer behavior, things that are going to stay with us long after the pandemic and building upon those, identifying those moments that aren't just momentary, but are in fact permanent that's where the real opportunity is because that's where you can use this kind of moment, this moment of crisis, find opportunity in it and be absolutely first in line to be serving people for decades to come. Give us a couple of examples specifically of businesses that have moved beyond now the initial reaction last spring. Sure. So here's a great one. It's called Franklin Junction. Now, Franklin Junction, what it does is slightly complicated. So follow me here. Once you get it, you'll say, oh man, that's really smart. So Franklin Junction was created by a guy named Aziz Hashim. He owns about 700 something restaurant franchises across the country. And he had recognized, he had recognized this problem in the rec restaurant industry that originally he was just trying to solve for himself. And that was that restaurants don't generally operate at full capacity. So you spend millions of 
$1,000 building out a kitchen, and then you're only operating that kitchen at 80% capacity, which means that you're leaving a lot of margin on the table here. If you could just get more people in, sell more food out of that kitchen, you've got the capacity, you'd be making more money. So he starts to think, what if he can create a kind of Match.com and Airbnb, sort of, so to speak, of restaurants? So he can take one restaurant, let's say in Washington, and start selling its food out of a restaurant in Miami. Well, let me follow. Yeah. The only 80% of the tables are filled. Right. And they, they're still only or 80%, 80% of the kitchen capacity is. Yeah. 80% of the kitchen capacity is being used. That may still be the case, but now he is he's connecting brands. He's connecting brands so that one brand another brand's food is being sold out of this brand's kitchen. And that way everybody wins. You, the restaurant owner, are cooking to-go orders for another restaurant, a competitor. That's exactly right. Yes. And then you're sharing the revenue on it. And the guy who you are cooking for mm -hmm. now has lower expenses in the half-empty place that he is running. He's That's still... Sure. Well, yeah. I mean, what is it? Imagine if you had, if you wanted, if you made a, Joe, if you made a restaurant brand and you started selling, uh, you know, you started selling hot dogs, let's say, but you didn't want to invest in a restaurant. Well, now you got another option right now. You could find a Ruby Tuesdays in Des Moines who's willing to sell your brand. All you got to do is ship them the food and tell them how to make it and give them some bags to, to deliver it in. And now suddenly you're up and running in Des Moines. You don't need to build a restaurant anymore. And this is, this is a radical idea, but I'm telling you the reason. And the reason that I got into this story is because remember I said some people are just shifting for the moment. Others, I think, are taking advantage of what is going to be a lasting shift in consumer behavior. And I think that what's being identified here is that people are starting to care less about the physical location of a brand. I mean, we already have ghost kitchens, which are functionally restaurant kitchens with no ability to walk in and be a customer. It's only for delivery. And so that already exists. People are increasingly going to care less about the location of a place and more just about what is it? How can I find it? How can it get delivered to me? And so this is taking advantage of a shift that isn't going away. People may have been using Seamless and DoorDash more during the pandemic, but afterwards they're still going to be using it a lot. And I think that the idea of what a restaurant is, is going to be forever changed in some way. Give us one more example of a successful long-term pivot. Sure, absolutely. So one of the amazing things that the pandemic did is that it drove adoption in radical ways of, of, of technology. So the classic example, of course, is Zoom, which pre-pandemic, Zoom had a, like a sort of peak concurrent uh, daily usage of about, or something like that, of about 10 million people. And then a, a month or two into to the pandemic, they that number jumped to 300 million. So this is a lot of usage. And Zoom is a great platform and it, it's it's very functional, but it's of course it, it it's limited in its abilities. So it does only a certain number of things and it serves a certain number of people. And that is fine in a world where there is limited adoption because pre-pandemic, we were using video chat, but not nearly as much as we're using now. And the more adoption you drive to a technology, the more use cases there are going to be. And then at that point, there's more opportunity for innovation. You can start to create new ideas for new groups of people, for new use cases that may not have existed or people never thought about or cared about before. So a company that I wanna highlight is called, and ready for the name, it's so ridiculous. Mm-hmm. 
That's mm-hmm. the name of the company. Mm-hmm. 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 One of those and restaurants ought to name itself that. It should. Or it actually maybe just take the hmm out and it could just be I a lot of text mm-hmm. messages like Right, that. yeah. <laughs> so, so mm-hmm is, I mean, and this is like a no-joke company. They've raised $31 million. They are a, um, a, a, a what they do is they, they, they facilitate fun video uh, uh, um, uh, environments. So for example, you could be talking with somebody and, and it'll work within any platform. So you could use mm-hmm in Zoom. You could use mm-hmm in Microsoft Teams. And it will put a fun background behind you. Now Zoom has done that too, but mm-hmm takes it to another level. And then also put graphics around you. So if I wanted to create, for example, a lower third of myself, the way that you do on cable news, the way that we've actually been doing in this video, uh, right there it is right now, my lower third, right? You could build that into, mm-hmm, you could have it wherever you want. If I was going to be talking about something, let's say if I was going to be talking about Nathan's and how now they're selling out of other restaurants, I could put a little box to my right, just like it's on cable news of a Nathan's hot dog, or I could have the Nathan's hot dog like kind of floating in front of me. It's really fun. And you could see how this can be useful in all sorts of ways. This is fun for, 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 for meetings and conversations, right? It just sort of livens up what video is, but also it's great for presentations because people have been increasingly doing more virtual presentations. And, and to my point about how I think these are lasting shifts in consumer behavior, when we go back to being able to travel around the world at will, we will be doing that, but we have also learned an important lesson during this pandemic, which is that some of that travel wasn't necessary. I didn't need, if I was an entrepreneur, I didn't need to fly across the country for a 30 minute meeting with an investor. I could have done it virtually. It's okay now. And so now we're going to be starting to think about, well, what, how versatile can we make our digital communication so that it fits our personality, it fits the exact use case. And these kinds of services, I think are going to become increasingly popular that now there's more and more people using certain technologies and there's going to be more and more services for them for the very different slices of use that they're going to want. You know, Joe and I love hearing about the mindset of an entrepreneur, and they always see opportunities and they take advantage of those. What new opportunities are they creating right now using technology or other pandemic-related businesses that they're forming now? So uh, that's a great question. And I think, you know, we can see some of it, a little bit of it here. But to me, the big answer to that question is something that we can't quite imagine. I'll, I'll give you an example of how that can play out. So let's stay with let's stay with mass adoption of new technologies. And I was talking. This came out of a conversation that I had with a the tech policy director at the Progressive Policy Institute, and I asked him what he saw changing now that was going to lead to massive change later. What was the opportunity now? And he gave me this wonky answer, and I'm going to give it to you because I think because I think once you appreciate the fullness of this wonky answer, it's actually going to be pretty amazing. So he says, look, in the past, technology adoption had, you know, followed a, I keep hitting my microphone, technology uh, adoption has, you know, has followed a kind of steady curve. And that means that there's been a a steady but not pressing need for innovation in infrastructure, digital infrastructure, right? What do we have for digital infrastructure? Well, you know, we finally got around to 5G. I feel like we could have gotten that much faster. Uh, Amazon Web Services, fine, fine, fine. But now, now there has been such a surge in demand for data, for data processing, 
for just, you know, the amount of every time that you're on a Zoom call, you are taking up quite a lot of capacity. I mean, I when I when I interviewed the CEO of Zoom, he said that he had capacity meetings every single day last year. Every wow. day, because they had to keep adding servers. So, so, so this guy at the at the Progressive Policy Institute says, you know what's going to happen? What's already happening is that what we're creating is a demand for innovation in infrastructure. And what happens when you create a demand for innovation in something? Well, lots of people now start coming in. There's a lot of innovators. There are a lot of entrepreneurs. And then follows the investors. And suddenly, you got people thinking about things and pushing innovation in ways that hadn't been done before. And we can start to lead. That can lead to all sorts of unbelievable technologies. I have had a vision, Joe and Neil. I've had a vision, and that vision is of an app that can kill mosquitoes. And here's how it would work because I remember trying to lie in bed in my apartment in Park Slope and you know what'll happen, right? It's summertime, you're lying in bed, suddenly you hear a next to your ear and you don't can't find it, you don't know where it is, you wake up, there's like 14 bite marks on you and you it's so annoying. And the problem is that you can't scan the room and have an app identify where the mosquito is and then go and kill it, right? It's somewhere, and an app probably could find it because it could recognize what a mosquito looks like, and maybe it's flight patterns and so on. But you know what? The app, the phone can't do that right now. You so know why it can't do that right now? Well, hold on. The, the reason it can't do that right now is because the capacity isn't there, because the data processing isn't there, and because the cameras aren't good enough. But if you innovate in technological infrastructure, you can start to create unbelievable new things that we can't even dream of right now, and that's where this is going. So the most successful businesses are creating digital platforms for to to basically solve problems. The most successful businesses are thinking about two things. They're thinking about where their consumer is going and they're thinking about where the opportunity is going. What new things do they have to work with that they didn't have last year? What new technologies can they bet on that are maybe not totally mature, but that they can be first in line. Companies, for example, that five years ago started to bet on voice recognition technology are way ahead of everybody else. Because five years ago, it wasn't very mature, but they recognized that there was a good chance that if they started building on it, that within five years, it would be mature enough to start building something really impressive, which is how you get companies like Descript, which does amazing AI auto tech, um, um, transcription, and where you get like Fireflies.ai, which is a company that can and, uh, literally, it's, a, it's an AI and it sits in your meetings, in your digital virtual meetings, and it takes notes for you and it organizes those notes for later. And that, that's only possible because the technology has become so good. Yes. What, what you just said, though, is what Steve Jobs said. And I don't know if that applies to a lot of small businesses. You said, think about what you can do, in other words, that yeah. the customer may not even know they want yet, versus following current demand. Mm-hmm. Uh, should the small and mid-sized business focus more on where the customer is going and only partly on what would be possible? Well, look, you've got, if you're a small to mid-sized business, you certainly got more limited resources than somebody who's raising $31 million in venture capital. Like, mm -hmm. so I understand that. But what you need to be doing at no matter the scale is you need to be constantly aware of what your consumer needs, not just today, but tomorrow. Where is your consumer going? Because that's the only way 
focusing on that and understanding that and making shifts in your business, even if it may require upfront costs and it may, it may cause some pain right now. If you are thinking long-term, then you don't care about some short-term cost, right? Like I, I love the story of and this is at the time, this was a small, this was a, a pretty small to mid-sized business. I love the story of Dogfish Beer in Delaware, which in its early days had a runaway hit with a beer. This was a, this was a small brewery. They were just getting going and they put out a beer called 60 Minute IPA and people loved it and wanted it and needed it. And suddenly this thing was going to become 80% of all sales of Dogfish. 80%. And you might say, well, that's fantastic. You got a runaway hit. Sell the, sell the crap out of that thing. But Sam, the founder of Dogfish said, you know what? No, I got a problem here. The problem is that if this beer defines me, if every time anybody interacts with Dogfish, they're only drinking this IPA, well, then at some point, tastes are going to change. Change is inevitable. My consumer is going to go elsewhere. It's going to happen. And so if people just associate my brand with an IPA, then that's great for right now. But the second that IPA stops being popular, then my brand is not known as an IPA brand anymore. It's known as an old brand. And so what Sam did was brilliant. He capped sales of his best-selling product at 50%. So again, this thing was going to take up 80% of all of his company's sales and he caps it at 50%, which means that he's got people screaming at him on the phone and on the streets. I've walked around Delaware with Sam. He's like Beyonce in Delaware and people <laughs> were screaming at him. And what is he to do? Well, he is to hold firm and he is to say to people, look, I'm really sorry. This beer just isn't available right now. In the meantime, why don't you try one of our other styles of beer? We've got a great Saison, for example, or whatever the case is. And this is how Sam becomes known not as an IPA brand and therefore an old brand because IPA is indeed no longer as hot as it once was, but instead is known as an innovative brand. And he built that small business and it started as a small business. He built that small business because of this kind of foresight of taking pain, even though uh, taking short-term pain for long-term game, he built this business into something that he just sold in 2019 for $300 million. And that's how you do it. Before yep. Joe gets into change, I, I do want to ask you though, how do the small guy, how, how does the small guy, the small and mid-sized businesses that Joe mentioned, how did they find opportunities to sell the clients right now? How do you find customers? What What are the opportunities there up for grabs that they can do now? So I, the, the, the number one thing that you need to do is you need to be in touch with your customer in a way that, in, in, in a way that you may not right now, you may be feeling like you're in touch with your customer. You're talking to your customer, but are you asking your customer things like, why are you not recommending me to people? What, 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 what am I missing? For you, what services are you looking for that nobody else is 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 serving? The thing is that when you understand your customer on an intimate basis, when you become customer obsessed, well, then you are able to start to provide them what they need in ways that you may not really understand right now. And and, and I, I just I really encourage people to be in constant constant contact with their customer. And, and uh, when you're a small business, I understand sometimes being in constant contact with your customer is just serving them. It's just getting through the day, but you need to find the time you need to build a system and it could be a survey, collect email addresses and send surveys out. Make sure you are building that newsletter so that you are able to be in constant contact with your customer and email. I just, I can't stress that enough, by the way, if you think that being in touch with your customer by Facebook is good, it's not. It's not, you're being, you're losing people to the Facebook algorithm and you don't own that audience. You need to have a newsletter, an email newsletter so that you know exactly how to contact all of your customers and you need to be in touch with them regularly, 
surveying them so that you can start getting data back on what it is they're looking for, what's resonating with them, and what's holding them back from being your best advocate. And the more that you understand that, you can start building their needs in, and also you can start anticipating where they're going next. This does not take a lot of resources, but it does take some time and it does take some systems. And so I really strongly advise that people start building that in so that they're understanding their customer in a really intimate way. Jay Walker, the founder of Priceline, gave a great example of this at one of our CBS Business Breakfast some time ago. He said, how many times have you checked out of a hotel and the desk clerk says, everything okay? And you say, mm-hmm, yeah, everything was fine. I, <laughs> right. I just want to get out of here, you know? Yep. Instead, Jay said, try this. When you're finishing a transaction with a customer, just say, tell us one thing we could do better. That's a mm, great idea. It's a great idea. And people great say, idea. well, you know, the windows were dirty mm -hmm. or something really important. And why is it, well, you explained it, what, what's, it's so difficult for business owners who are putting out brush fires all day, sometimes to even think three weeks ahead. That's right. You know? And has entrepreneur written on that topic as to how to, I guess it comes under time management, right? How to handle that. Sure. Yeah, it uh, we have so many other people have. I mean, I mean not to pass up an opportunity to plug us, but I am actually going to plug Please something do. else, but uh so, you know, one thing, I let me share something an insight with you that that I've carried with me ever since I read it. There was a Harvard Business Review piece that asked why, and again, I, I know I'm going to talk about big companies, but this applies to small companies too. The question is why do big companies stop innovating? And the answer is because what a big company innovates in the beginning, and then they start shifting all of their resources towards efficiency. So they're now tasking everybody top to bottom with doing the thing that they're already doing in a more and more efficient way. Let's make it faster. Let's make it cheaper. Right. And once you start to do that, you have an entire system top to bottom that's no longer thinking about innovation and no longer thinking about tomorrow. And in fact, when change comes along, nobody is able to respond to it because everybody is being incentivized on efficiency alone. What a great and, example. What's the, So what's the solution to that? Well, the solution to that is to be is to build inside of your team a system by which you are constantly you have to have people who are tasked and you do this as a small business. I don't care if you've got two people in your business, somebody, somebody's got to be doing this. You need to be constantly looking at what your consumer is doing next. Where is your consumer going? What are their needs? Be surveying them. I love that example that you just gave of asking what's the one thing that we could do better. What you're doing is you're prompting your consumer. Your consumer does not have a business plan to hand over to you. If you ask them broad questions, they're not going to deliver anything to you. But if you prompt them very specifically, they will give you insights about what they need and where they're going that you can then build back into your, so you should build a check-in. Maybe, you know, I mean, here's a way to, here's a simple way to start. I'm not saying this is right for everybody, but how about a quarterly conversation that you have with your, with the top members of your team, where you ask the simple question of, is this company doing what it needs to do to survive for the next five years? Ask yourself that every single quarter. 
And at some point you're going to start to say, oh, you know what? Actually, I've noticed that our consumer is wanting this and this. And I don't know if the thing that we're doing right now is going to last five years. Okay, good. So what can you start to do to build into your offerings? How can you shift what you're doing so that you're starting to meet future demand? This is something that big and small companies alike need to be doing. And I'm not telling you that it needs to be completely radical changes here, but sometimes it's the small things. Sometimes it's the it's the customer service. Sometimes Sometimes it's the way in which you're treating people. Sometimes it's that, you know, you don't have Wi-Fi in your restaurant and it's driving everybody crazy. And in five years, nobody's going to tolerate you if you don't have Wi-Fi in your restaurant. It's these kinds of things that you just need to be starting to build regular check-ins so that you are always thinking about this stuff. How's business and entrepreneur magazine? What topics draw the most interest? Uh, it's been really good. You know what? The mo It's very interesting. The biggest subject right now at Entrepreneur, the biggest subject with our audience is side hustles. People are obsessed with side hustles. I think so many people have been impacted by the pandemic and they're starting to ask themselves, what can I start to build for myself? And people how can I start right employees. now? Do you mean people who have full-time jobs are interested in side hustles? Oh yeah, absolutely. You know, I mean, I mean, a, a brand like Entrepreneur, just like I'm sure the people who listen to your show, some of them are in business, some of them aspire to be in business. Right. And the people who aspire to be in business are all starting to think to themselves, I need to start building something for me. I need to start taking care of me. And so side hustles have become a huge, huge subject of us for us. And so we've, we've actually, we've launched something called the Side Hustle Accelerator uh, with Kim Perel, who's a, a fantastic entrepreneur who's built and sold a number of businesses. And so we're helping people now build their side hustles. What's the key advice there on doing a side hustle and still doing your day job and still having time to sleep. Well, yeah, I listen, I, I think, I mean, that's a time management question. My belief is that you can always find the time. You you just have to start sacrificing other things. I mean, I, I, listen, I'm a busy guy. I run a national magazine. I host three podcasts. I do television development. I'm writing a book. How do I find the time? I'll tell you, because I stopped doing other things that just aren't as valuable to be anymore. I stopped watching basketball. And so look, the the what's the number one thing uh, for, for a side hustle? Pick an idea and test it. The number one way that people get stuck is that they have 10 ideas and they can't decide which one and they start to sort of noodle on them all and they get nowhere. Pick one idea. What's the idea that you have the resources available to you right now to at least test it and then go out there and test it. You got it. You got to just start somewhere. Why is it that they're creating these side hustles while they're working their jobs? Is it a matter of job security? Yeah. People are recognizing that they are not safe if someone else is in control. I mean, my definition of an entrepreneur is someone who makes things happen for themselves. And I think that a lot of the reason that people get into entrepreneurship, it's not for the money, believe me, because most, most entrepreneurs do not become Steve Jobs and Elon Musk. But what it is, is it's for control of your own destiny. And I think that somebody who's sitting at a company somewhere and is worried every six months about layoffs or shifts or they're out of control, they're starting to think to themselves, what would happen if I built my own thing? What would happen I've if even, I did that? I've even heard stories of people who started a business on the side. They told their current company and I think it was a pharmaceutical company in New Jersey that told them, well, you know what? Let us know how this goes because we may make your business a division of our company. We Absolutely. really wanted to have somebody to do that. That and, goes right back to you talking about looking ahead. And hats off to them. I think that your best employees 
are entrepreneurial employees, people who will give you 100% and keep, and keep 50% for themselves, right? They, people who just are able to work at a different level. They're motivated. And also by going out there and developing their own ideas, they're also going to become better employees for you. I mean, I think of that way myself too, right? I, I, I'm a good employee for entrepreneur. I work for entrepreneur. I do a ton of stuff for myself on the side. My pursuit of a, of a, of a speaking career and doing public speaking and, and getting paid as a keynote speaker is also really helping entrepreneur because I become better and better and I'm out there more and more there if you if you embrace your entrepreneurial employees they will do well by you and will do well by themselves and what more can you ask for you're talking about a common business phrase it's called win win that's right and if you have a main hustle that you want to do better or if you are thinking about a side hustle you go to Jason's magazine thank you very much Jason Pfeiffer managing editor editor-in-chief of Entrepreneur Magazine. Great magazine. Thank you guys so much. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com.